Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Smile and PDF Pen. They're a great product. I'm Samanda Rochefort, Senior Video Producer at Polygon, and I'm here with Christina Warren, Senior Cloud Advocate at Microsoft. Hey, it's the, the seniors are here today. Yep, it's a it's um senior week. Um, uh, Brianna Wu is on uh, bed rest after her surgery. We are wishing her well and are happy that she like took our advice this time and was like, not. Yeah, she didn't show. even try to come on the show this time. I'm so proud of her. <laughs> Me too, honestly. It was like Brie, don't do this, and she was like. I'm not recording this week. We're really good. We're proud yes. of you. And for those of you following, this is her knee surgery. So after this, she's hopefully going to be able to run again, which yep. uh, we're super happy for her for. We're happy for her. This is good news. Um, so thank you. If you want to send her a happy word on Twitter, I'm sure that'd be appreciated. Yes. Um, but mostly we just hope that she stays asleep for a little while. Anyway... Between the two of us, we still have a beautiful bevy of tech stories for you this week. We're going to be talking about the Bloomberg cover story on Tim Cook and Apple. And we're also going to be talking about the future of Clubhouse clones. And finally closing it out with a, um, a revisiting of Britney Spears after the New York Times just released their new documentary. But first up, as always, it's it's going to be Apple. <laughs> so Austin Carr and Mark Gurman, of course, put out this in, this very thorough cover story uh, profiling Tim Cook from basically his his work on the operations team and coming up as a person who who people weren't sure could lead the company in the post Steve Jobs days because Jobs was such a creative force and Cook was seen as the sort of boring option as it were like could he could he possibly lead the company to profit considering that jobs was the person inventing all these crazy products and the answer of course from 2021 is yes he's been very very good at that um and this piece has a huge focus on cook's ability to work uh with factories in china and to ensure these to oversee these gargantuan uh productions uh, for all these products that uh, mm-hmm. we expect to have readily available to us at launch. Um, one more thing. Boom. It's available now. Surprise. With a million tiny, tiny little parts inside it. Um, and, of course, the downside of that is the production for these products is... Well, the downside for us, <laughs> American factory workers, is the, these the production of these products is so, 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 so specialized now. It's essentially impossible to bring production of these products to America from other countries in Asia, such as mostly China um, and then increasingly Vietnam. Um, mm-hmm. Christina, what did you think of this story? Well, I thought it was great. Uh, I thought it was really well reported. Um, some of the details, like the fact that, you know, um, they negotiate over the price of glue, um, I, I thought was really interesting, although I thought the more interesting anecdote was when they were talking about how, um, there have been like a, a certain like like sagging and, and kind of off kilterness to a certain product, and they were able to track it down to and this. This was actually a product that was being produced in the United States. They were able to track it down to you know part of the um, assembly line where somebody was not screwing the screws in like according to the die, but but they were going like right to left for some reason. And um, I don't know. I, I thought it was really really 
good. Uh, the cover also really like just total classic Bloomberg cover where it's 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 um in in the the font and the style of the think different ads, but it, instead it's saying you know this is to you know the round pegs in the round holes and and the sensible and the you know plight like it's it's definitely one of those stories where it was like you know rather than being think different it's almost like think the same yeah is kind of thing I thought that was wow like that was one hell of a cover um but yeah no I thought it was I thought it was really interesting I mean the the big takeaway that I had and there was there's been some interesting commentary I think about the reliance that Apple and I think not just Apple but every other major you know uh consumer gadget manufacturer has on China was interesting I think uh hearing about how cook like so successfully is like negotiated building of these factories and and controlling the supply chain again down to the glue and and having those uh having the control over that was really good but kind of what I took away from it was yeah um Apple has never been more financially successful and more efficient mm-hmm. the only mm-hmm. thing is is that what comes along with that efficiency if we're being totally just dead ass honest is that it becomes a, you lose personality. Like I'm not saying that Apple is boring, but I am going to say that like, I would say maybe personality devoid a little bit. It was, that was sort of my takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that assessment of, of Apple's personality. And I, I think it's really interesting to look at cook in the pantheon of our modern tech CEOs. Cause certainly controversy for CEOs like Jack Dorsey or Mark Zuckerberg hasn't hurt their companies necessarily. Elon Musk. Elon Musk. (laughs) The the outlier there. I mean, but is actually, this is a question I don't know the answer to. Obviously, Musk's horrible, horrible tweets messed with Tesla stock and all that. But how is the company doing I guess on a a longer term scale than every time Musk does something stupid? I mean, they've never been doing better. I mean, at yeah. this point, I think that even if you agree that their stock is overvalued, which I think on the uh, again, we're not a we're not a financial podcast, but I think if you were just to look at the fundamentals, there's a good case for that. Having said that, like the, like I think that it, it it does seem a little bit obscene that you know Tesla is worth more than all the other big car manufacturers combined or something. Um, I I think that's true. I'm not sure, uh, so so don't mm-hmm. you know quote me on that, but but something like that. Having said that. Like they are, they are doing well. Like they are now at a point where I believe they are profitable. Um, they still have some, you know, issues with their supply chain and with with getting out cars and whatnot. But they're doing well. Like, mm-hmm. like for all of his bravado, it's not a bad company. And um, yeah, like, so it's not like Cook's like easy pleasantness has necessarily helped him in a way that other companies have. Other companies haven't necessarily been harmed long term by their CEOs being a little more controversial, but something about Cook's ability to work with people and specifically this article highlights the ways in which he was kind of able to soothe Trump during the Trump presidency. Mm -hmm. I found that super interesting because, you know, they took him on a tour of a factory in Texas and let him talk about how they're bringing manufacturing back to the United States when that factory had been open for six years. It wasn't a new thing by any means. Um, And it does raise some interesting questions about, like, I, I absolutely expect 
Tim Cook to bring his folksy Southern charm alongside Biden's Delaware charm and <laughs> for them yeah. just to have a folksy charm off um, and to have like whatever your opinion is of Apple and whether they're too powerful, which eh, probably every company is. Um, I expect them to be able to get along to slide along quite nicely with government just because I, he seems to be that kind of person. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, and I think that was really kind of the takeaway. Like like the first anecdote in the article, which I think is really, it's a great read, you know, is that it's is, um, from 2012. And it's about Joe Biden, you know, asking Tim Cook a question. And uh, he was asking kind of the perennial question, which is why can't the iPhone be made in the United States? And Tim Cook, according to the anecdote of someone who was at the dinner, gave a pretty, you know, um, measured and like very diplomatic kind of answer, right? Where he didn't make anybody feel bad, which contrasts that to a conversation that uh, Steve Jobs and, and Barack Obama had had, I guess about a year earlier, because, um, you know, this was a few months after after Jobs had died. And Jobs very bluntly said, those jobs are not coming back to America, mm-hmm. meaning the manufacturing jobs. They're gone. They're not coming back. And, uh, you know, where's where Cook clearly feels the same way. And as his entire career, as the article outlines at Apple and even before Apple, but certainly, you know, his last 25 years or whatever at Apple have been spent on the supply chain and on ensuring that those jobs are not in the United States, not because there's anything wrong with the United States, but because for many reasons, like we don't have the skilled labor force. We Mm -hmm. don't have the ability to do permitting. We don't have the ability to get stuff up and running. Uh, I will iterate this, reiterate this again, because I've said this and written this repeatedly over the years. We don't have the skilled labor force to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, rather than being very blunt and jobsy and being like, I'm not coming back, he had a much more diplomatic answer, which didn't really eschew the truth, but maybe made people feel better about it, which Mm -hmm. I think is a, is a very good skill. I think it's one of those skills you definitely need if you are going to be the a a you know 2.3 trillion dollar company and like the the largest richest most powerful arguably you know largest richest and and arguably one of the most powerful companies in the world i think there's something to be said that he they've probably been served very well by having someone like cook who can handle all of the politics and the diplomacy incredibly well mhm yeah and it's telling i think that when you look back on uh, moments that all of these tech CEOs have had over the years. I don't recall Cook ever becoming a meme in the way that Mark Zuckerberg has at times, in the way that Jack Dorsey has at times, in the way that Elon Musk has at times. Um, He and Satya are kind of (laughs) apart in that, in that sense. (laughs) 100%. Yeah. And, and, and you could add Bezos to that too. Yeah, no, they, they definitely, um, Satya and, and Cook have definitely kind of avoided that. And I think, you know, Cook, um, is like, like Satya has always struck me as like the philosopher and, and cook is, you know, like very much the operator mm-hmm. and that's been good for, for both of those companies. Uh, that said, I mean, I, I, again, to your point, it's not as if those other companies have faltered for having very public rash CEOs and Apple certainly didn't falter under Steve jobs for that. Right. Like mm-hmm. it, his second era. But I think that, you know, it's it's one of those things where he has that pragmatism and that boringness, if, if we're being totally honest, that yeah. has has served them well, right? Like it, in terms of like dollars and cents, you can't argue that he has been very, very good 
for the company. Now, in terms of, I guess, personality, you you call them boring, um, which as much as I love Apple products, I think is fair. I think I've called the company anodyne before. Um, it's a great word and I'm never going to forget it now that I've figured out how to use it. Uh, do you wish that Apple had a bit more edginess, a bit more flair, a bit more strangeness? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I do, sometimes I do wish they had a little more personality because I do think that was one of Jobs' strengths. And to a certain extent, it was one of Johnny Ives' strengths too. Although I think especially, especially as we got to like, you know, like latter stage Johnny Ive as, uh, as I've been calling it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that like l- l- later stage Johnny Ive maybe got too on the middle. A little too like, weird. <laughs> yeah. A little too minimalist, you know, embrace that stuff a little bit too much. But like, if you look back at jobs, like jobs had a certain appreciation for kitsch. He mm-hmm. had an appreciation for zest. He had a personality, right? Like you look at the iMac and it was this bonsai blue color. And then they came out with the lifesaver flavors, right? They had, you know, the the laptop that had the handle. Like he loved his sleek and minimalist design, but he also, you know, he had the computer say hello, you know, when, when the Macintosh mm. came out. Like there was a personality to it. And I'm not saying that Apple is devoid of personality, but it certainly is much more muted, right? And anodyne, mm-hmm. I think, it, to, to use your word, is accurate. And so, yeah, sometimes I definitely do feel like I wish that there was, like, I love my white, sleek Apple boxes and my minimalism as much as anybody else, but I'm also somebody who really likes to have a pop of color and to have, like, you know, everyone contains multitudes, and I'm the person who will and one day wear a very sleek, you know, kind of like a dress or, or, or suit or whatever, and then another day I'm wearing, like, a KFC hoodie, um, or, or, you know, some crazy Jordans that have a really good color scheme. Like yeah. there's something fun about that. Right. And, and Apple, I, I'm like, okay, you look at, if they're a wardrobe, it's like, everything is the same and you don't ever have that yeah. pop of color. And, and the, the weird thing is, is that I know people who work at Apple who are nothing but personality and who have so many, you know, great ideas and are so smart and are so creative. And so I'm not saying the company is devoid of that is just what we see and what's in the products you see it a little bit with the colors, right? Like rose gold. I think part of the reason why I love rose gold so much is like, that's the personality, right? Yeah. But, but it's like, that's, that's fewer and further between sometimes it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see that. Um, although I, I, I mean, even with the yellow, the yellow iPhone 11, I guess, and then they made that and then they didn't bring it back. Right. Which um, brings me to maybe the most important news of tonight, which is that I have finally put a case on my yellow iPhone 11 again. I've been going caseless since spring and then you've been going, um, you've been going naked. And so you've got a case. Tell us about the case. Is it color? Oh, it it's clear? just the same old case that I had before. It's a case to case. Uh, it is red and like a little uh, transparent, translucent. And then it's got fun geometric designs on the back. It is called ramen, but because it had one of the designs is a big yellow circle, which I believe represents the egg in the ramen. Uh, it reminds me of the sun also rises. So that's why I bought it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, since I realized I can't get the new iPhone <laughs> till next fall, I put the case back on my phone. Um, any final thoughts, Christina, on this topic? No, I mean, I thought it was a great article and, yeah, check uh, it out. It, yeah, it's really good. Really great work from German and from, um, Austin Carr. Uh, and I mean, I think a lot to think about, right? I mean, I, I think the big thing for me, just kind of reading them was just kind of thinking, for whatever nitpicks we can have, and of course we have them because that's what we do. We're analysts and and critics and whatever. Like this is an incredibly 
well-run company that mm-hmm. makes a ridiculous kind of mind-boggling amount of money. Like I can't even comprehend, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And just to briefly speak to the article, since you reminded me, I feel like it is, it, it's one of those articles that feels very foundational. Like it's just laying, it, it's putting a lot of information out there and putting these pieces together in a way that that I feel is very, a, a textbook of Apple. Like the, the, this not it's not a groundbreaking piece full of like secrets and hits and stuff. It's just like, here's the portrait of what is happening here. And I think it's, it's so it's valuable and interesting for that. Yep. Yeah. This episode of rocket is brought to you by PDF pen from our friends at smile power through PDFs with a Mac community's favorite PDF editor. So you can fall in love with work again. God, I wish I could. (laughs) With PDF Pen, you can show PDFs who's boss. Edit any PDF with the click of a button, fix typos, and add text as easily as you would in Word. (gasps) Breathe new life into paper documents. With the magic of OCR, turn images of handwritten and printed text into content that you can search, copy, and edit. Protect your content. Ensure your documents are safe to share through password protection, metadata removal, and true redaction. Look like a pro. Impress your boss, your colleagues, and your clients with efficient, secure, and 100% digital workflows and fill out, sign, and copy edit like it's 2021. Baby, as a person who's trying to remove her, or remove, renew her passport right now, Oh God. God, do I wish it was 100, a 100% digital workflow. This is a dream to me. And being able to recognize handwritten text and turn it into printing, oh, a gem, a wonderful thing. PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro work with PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone for seamless editing across devices with cloud services such as iCloud, Dropbox, Google Drive, OneDrive, and more. Learn more about PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro at smilesoftware.com slash podcast. Once again, that is smilesoftware.com slash podcast. Thank you so much, PDF Pen and Smile, especially Smile, for your support of this show and Relay FM. Yeah. Next up, Clubhouse competitors. They are on the way. Twitter is working on a project called Spaces, and the New York Times reports that Facebook is looking into building its own version of Clubhouse, uh, following in the slew of other clones of popular social media networks that Facebook has put out, like Stories, which is a Snapchat clone, and Reels, which was inspired by TikTok. Clubhouse is, of course, the exclusive invite-only audio-only app where just five days ago, Mark Zuckerberg gave a talk on augmented reality and virtual reality. Um, So Spaces, uh, the Twitter product, is actually already in beta. I have not used it. Christina, are you one of the few who has been invited? I have used Spaces. I don't have access to create my own, but I've joined a couple of other people's, and I'm actually going to be on one on Saturday afternoon to talk about WandaVision, which is going to be fun. Is this whole segment product placement? Uh, yes, it is. Nice. It's completely product placement. Tune in uh, uh, Saturday at 1230 uh, Pacific to uh, hear me and some other uh, nerds talk about uh, WandaVision and Marvel 
audio. That'll be fun. Uh, but I've been on, on clubhouse since like April, I want to say. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I've, I've been on clubhouse. I don't really use it actively, but I get, you know, a jillion alerts from it. And I've also been, uh, I've participated in a couple of spaces, but I don't have full access to that yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should mention there's also another uh, app in development called Fireside uh, for Mm -hmm. Mark Cuban. Uh, I don't know as much about that one. Uh, But we do know a bit. We we don't know much about uh, Facebook's idea either. We do know something about Twitter. As I mentioned, it's already in beta. Christina has been on it a couple times. And uh, The Verge says that with spaces, moderation has been a focus from the start, which is something that has famously been an issue for Clubhouse. Uh, The uh, creators, after uh, it initially blew up, said, oh, gosh, we didn't even really think about that. I guess we'll implement it at a a point. Um, Twitter seems to be focusing on that from the start, as they freaking should, considering their track record. Considering it's Twitter. Yeah. uh, Verge reports creators can control who can or cannot speak in each space. Um, And there are reporting and blocking features included in this first version, which is, I mean, Twitter has those features on its own as well. We would, it's, it's not a surprise that they're showing up in spaces but it's definitely good that they're thinking about that because I feel like with audio, it's it's definitely more intimate than text in a yeah. way where where things could become out of control quite quickly if people were to be harassing. So I'm glad that they're thinking about that. I assume that Facebook is as well, considering that they have, again, two of the world's biggest social media platforms. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I think honestly, but this is this is also tr- uh, proof that anytime you have anything that like looks like it's going to be a hit, like already, you know, Clubhouse has been valued at over a billion dollars, which is insane to me because Ugh. they have no business model. It's still in beta. People are still doing invite only. It's only on iPhone. Like it really does feel like one of those bubble like applications from like a decade ago, where you know there were these crazy valuations on on apps startups, and and it was just you know, didn't really make sense in reality. Like, you know, you you consider that like Instagram sold for a billion dollars and like Clubhouse is already like valued at more than that, which is just, Mm -hmm. you know, nuts. Um, But I do think there's something to be said about what we can do with audio spaces. And that's obviously not even unique to Clubhouse, right? Like Clubhouse, you could argue really took what they were seeing happen in discord and in other, you know, communities like that and just kind of said, okay, let's productize this into a mobile way and maybe do it around interest around maybe people, you know, or around other areas. And then obviously where clubhouse has been incredibly successful is they brought celebrities into it mm-hmm. and, and they were, they were doing that really early on. You know, I think a lot of people might just be aware of clubhouse now because of Elon Musk being on and interviewing <laughs> the CEO of Robin hood. But like, you know, I've even, I was doing some um, show in Clubhouse. God, it was like I think it might have been April, might have been May. Jared Leto showed up, and and me and and the other host were like kind of freaking out because Jared Leto was you know like talking to us. Yeah. Um, and Oprah has been on. I don't think she's been back, but like they were able to bring her in, and like you've had other really really like Oprah. I don't think you can get any bigger than that. Like you've had some really really high profile people pop in, and so there's. There's like a, a certain like star, um, uh, you're gonna have to bleep me, like a star f- aspect to that, which is really <laughs> appealing. Like I, I got, um, 
somebody, Steven Zanofsky, who is um, a partner at Andreessen Horowitz, who is um, one of the, the big lead investors behind Clubhouse, like he I, got um, a little bit mad at me last week when I, because um, somebody asked me what Clubhouse was, and I was like, it's, you know, um, an app where, you know, uh, people, well, where rather than work, you know, people talk about stuff they're, that they're not an expert in. Uh, rather than working um, and celebrities or something like that. And and he was like pointing out the ways that people wrote about how Twitter was just about sharing what you had for lunch and, and was really glib. And I was like, okay, to be clear, first of all, the early sharings and, and kind of glib things about Twitter were accurate. Also, my really just kind of glib description of Clubhouse, I mm-hmm. am not immune to that. Like I'm part of that. I it, you know, it's one of those things that either I tune into or, you know, participate in or whatever, largely as a distraction or something else. Not to say that you can't have really interesting conversations or hear really interesting conversations, but, you know, what it is. And also because I'm, like, excited that I might hear a celebrity uh, or, or have an interaction with a celebrity. Like, I'm not in any way, um, like, above what I'm being kind of glibly referring to it as. Like, it, it is yeah, what it is. Yeah, you, you have always been very much a part of both the high and low culture. One hundred percent. And 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 again, like my my broader point, I was like, it's not to say that you can't have some really enlightening and really amazing conversations on a platform like Clubhouse or whatever Facebook's trying to do, or Twitter Spaces, or Discord, or anything else. Uh, but I also don't feel like the necessarily like the um, people who are being glib about it are necessarily wrong either. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah th- th- this was how I described it. Um, Somebody asked, um, also, what does one do with Clubhouse? And then I wrote, waste time not working by listening to other people not working, talking about stuff they claim to be expert in but really aren't, while hoping for celebrities to show up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I'm wrong, right? Like, Yeah, I don't again, think you're wrong at all. But again, that's not me like saying that Clubhouse is bad or has no value. I think there's actually tremendous value in that. And I've actively participated in that. I'm not mm-hmm. above it. I'm just saying that's kind of what it is. But it is interesting to see that everybody's going into this live audio space because it is different than a podcast because it's ephemeral. And I think that that ephemeral part of it is actually really important. Uh, I think that there's – it's interesting to have the idea, like, could you save this chat for later and turn it into a podcast or whatever? I don't know. I feel like it kind of ruins <laughs> you know, it a little bit. I, I, I agree. I think the ephemerality makes it more potent for exactly those reasons that you're describing. You know, people follow celebrities on social media for a glimpse into their lives or influencers for a glimpse into their lives. But this, as I said before, like audio is so much more intimate. And when it's something that you have to experience in the moment, um, it it does feel a lot more uh, powerful and exclusive and special in a way that I think it, 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 if I were just listening to a podcast with a celebrity guest on it, it obviously wouldn't feel that way. Right. Um, I'm thinking about, uh, so I got this year on Marco Polo, which is not like clubhouse at all, but it is a short form video app where essentially instead of texting your friends or family, you can send short videos or audio clips um, to them and have conversations that way. Uh, and it's not ephemeral. All the videos are preserved, but it has become for me a better way of keeping in touch with certain friends just because I feel like there's a lot more pressure to respond to texts 
and they they weigh on me in a certain way. Whereas with video, it kind of, I, it feels like conversations end more naturally, and I I don't neglect them as long. Um, and talking is such a, a natural thing, and it feels nice to talk to people. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like this particular the climate that we're in in this pandemic year has accelerated? Clubhouse and the the fascination with audio social networks? 100%. 100%. Because I don't think people would have been as interested in sitting around, especially like late at night, right? Like in yeah. some of the other areas, some of the other times when Clubhouse is really busy. I don't know if people would be that willing to do it if you had other options to go out and see people and to do things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> and I guess finally, we have to talk about how... <sighs> As we've said, Clubhouse has this allure. It's invite only. It has become sort of a a tech Illuminati darling (laughs) by attracting high-profile people to it. The same can't be said of a product that's put out by Facebook or by Twitter. Um, I definitely still think there's potentially value in those, especially in Twitter spaces, since people can curate people already curate their own social networks on there anyway. And with Facebook groups, I think it's, it's similar. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I, like I think Facebook groups, it could make a lot of sense, right? Like I feel like if Facebook does it, I don't think you would ever get your mainstream, you know, celebrities or, or other people using it. Um, because if you did, like you might as well, like at that point, it's just a broadcast. It's, it's just, you know what I mean? Like it's just a a a real conversation. It's a live (laughs) stream. It's not, it's not a conversation because the only people who'd be part of it would be, you know, the people who are very cultivated and, and curated from that group. Whereas Twitter, I think, gives you a little bit more room for that. Maybe not as much as Clubhouse. Like Clubhouse, I do really feel like, you know, is one of those things where you can just have somebody jump in and then you recognize their name and you bring them in and they share their opinion or whatever. Um, and you might be able to have an interaction with them. But although in that case, too, I'm sure a lot of times it's very much a thing where are invited and joined the conversations they're invited to and they're speaking on. And it's not like they're necessarily mm-hmm. chilling in some of the other things. Although Jared Leto did find his way into our chat, which was awesome. Um, <laughs> again, like I'm not above being a star. Um, but with Jared I, Leto, though, please have a standard. Just one. I'm begging you. I definitely have a standard, but I'm sorry. He's Jordan Catalano. Like, I'm sorry, but like 11 year old, 11 year old, 11 year old me is still like, I, I talked to Jared, to, to Jordan Catalano, like half standards. I, and I'm aware like problematic, but everyone's problematic, whatever. Um, what I'm saying though, is it's like, uh, but I feel like, so for groups, for instance, I feel like Facebook could actually be really good, right? I feel like that could be a really good space, especially the way the groups already exist. Because a lot of times you have people who you're in an affinity group, but you don't know each other. So you're not going to get to interact that way otherwise. So I think that could be good. And and I feel like Twitter, you know, to your point, people cultivate their following anyway. And there are provisions about, you know, for abuse and other stuff, but also people tend to be more open with how they tweet, right? And tend to be more interactive, right? Like you just are more interactive and usually not always, but it's like a lot of times celebrities will at least have access to their own Twitter account even mm-hmm. if somebody else is posting stuff, whereas someone else is doing their Facebook for them, right? Yeah. So there's a different kind of personal basis. Um, but then Clubhouse, you know, does have its kind of appeal to right now. It is largely the rich and kind of the the tech uh, Illuminati. And, and there are other, I guess, kind of sectors kind of getting into it too. But 
that could broaden, obviously, and that could change. That could go into to other stuff. I think that it's interesting. I don't know if we, obviously, we wouldn't be talking about it the way that we are, and it wouldn't be valued the way that it's valued if the first people who had joined were not very rich investors. Yeah. That's just a fact. Um, but but I feel like the other two won't have that cachet, but could be useful much more broadly if there is something to be said for this sort of interaction going forward. Yeah. Yeah, now that I'm just I'm thinking about the ways in which it really does seem like, as you said, the the star effort and the exclusivity aspect of Clubhouse has helped propel it in a certain way. Because I'm thinking about how, like, okay, essentially this could be done on Twitch. Essentially, yeah. this could be done on Instagram Live. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how those roll out and whether the new platforms can kind of capture this this energy and this excitement around it. I do want to briefly return to the moderation question because when you when when we started talking about Facebook groups, I immediately just flashed back back currently around. I flashed around to all the cesspools of communities mm-hmm. that are on Facebook and the struggles that those poor moderators already have, as widely reported by Casey Newton in The Verge uh, when he was with The Verge. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. There's there's something about it. And and the problems that Facebook has had with live streams of shootings oh, specifically. Totally. Um, oh, yeah. Although, yeah. Uh, to be fair, I feel like audio is a little bit different. It's not performative in the same way. So it doesn't capture the same thing. Like, you have to kind of make a concerted effort to start a broadcast. It does have an ephemeral nature. It's not mm-hmm. being shared. It's not being saved. So you know, when you go live or something that's saved and you have a visual and it's also usually not, uh, an interactive experience. It is somebody who's on the camera who might be verbally responding to comments, but they're not talking with anybody else. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I I feel like we don't necessarily know that Facebook's version will be ephemeral. What we don't, I mean, it could be, it could be stored. I would say, I think that anybody who does this, who doesn't largely want to make it ephemeral first is, is missing something because I do feel like the ephemeral yeah. nature is, is a big part of it. That's honestly, the, point. the whole point is like, uh, exactly. Cause otherwise it's like, it could be a podcast. It could be a planned thing. You want to be there because you want to be able to observe it live. And you also ideally want to be able to participate. I think that's the big thing too. Although, you know, Clubhouse has people who can, can choose who can, you know, speaking who can't, which is great. And and Twitter obviously has moderation tools. Like the idea is supposed to be that it's not like this observing thing. It's supposed to be participatory. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I feel like that could be useful. I mean, obviously, every Facebook group has its own shares of dramas and whatnot. I'm sure that would continue. But I could also see it being really useful for affinity groups around people who just want to have kind of like, it's not that dissimilar from a party line, uh, which is a concept I'm familiar with in the sense that I've read about it, but I, it predates me. So it definitely predates you. (laughs) But apparently these were like lines, like big group call lines that people would call on where you would have, you know, dozens or hundreds of participants and people just all chatting um, about whatever. And, and it, it was a known thing. And, um, I think. Wow, human beings things. really just do like to talk to each other, don't we? Yeah, we do. We're we're freaking social creatures. That's why this pandemic has been so terrible. But yeah, um, although the interesting thing is, I love to hear myself talk clearly, and mm-hmm. even for me, Clubhouse is like a lot. I'm like, oh, I thought I loved the sound of my own voice. 
Yeah. <laughs> there are some people who spend like 10 hours a day on Clubhouse. I'm like, okay. They're very lonely. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Well, let's move into our sad dessert. I know yeah. I suggested this, but it is our you sad did. dessert. It is, yeah. But, we, but I'm glad oh, we're talking wait, about actually, it. Actually, briefly, I forgot I had a question for you. Yes. Did you catch Zuckerberg's Clubhouse talk on VR and AR? No, because I don't care. Okay. Fine. You I don't want to hear what Mark Zuckerberg has to say about the future of VR? I mean, I do, but like, did he say anything interesting? Because to me... <laughs> I didn't like, see any stories about it. <laughs> so, yeah, because here's, here's the problem with someone like Zuckerberg, right? It'd be like Tim Cook going on, right? Like, yeah. You know what you're going to get. It's going to be like media-trained out the wazoo. The yeah, I want my wild card clubhouses. <laughs> I was going to say, that's why Elon Musk is fascinating because he doesn't care. And he was going to be able to ask and obviously ask some softball questions and other stuff. But like you tune in because Elon doesn't have a filter and has been sued for things that he's tweeted and has, yeah. <laughs> you know, come under fire from the SEC for things that he's tweeted and like just named his child an unpronounceable name. And like, you know, he, he is a meme and he embraces that. And even though I, I think that like a lot of this stuff is not laudatory and I think that he is, you know, kind of sanctified by people in a way that's negative I'm not going to lie and pretend that he's not an incredibly charismatic and compelling figure and that that's good entertainment, right? Like, yeah. that's something you want to tune into. That's I right. Don't really, I don't want to tune into Mark Zuckerberg talking about AR and VR in the future on Clubhouse because I know that he's only going to talk to a select number of people. He's not going to answer any hard questions. He's not going to participate in the rest of it. He's just going to do his spiel and that's going to be it. It's going to be you know, like a stream. I don't care. Whereas Elon, yeah, the, you don't know what's going to happen. That's, That's actually a wonderful segue into our next topic, Thank which you. is Britney Spears. Um, so the New York Times recently put out a documentary on Britney Spears and her conservatorship, which is essentially, uh, if you're not familiar with this, a saga. Yeah. It, uh, the court ordered that Britney Spears has no control of her finances and career. Essentially it's all under the control of her father, Jamie Spears. Yep. And recently, uh, she's challenged it a couple times. Most recently she challenged it last year. She's been under the conservatorship for, I believe 16 years, 14, 14, I numbers, <laughs> 14 years, which is a very long time to have been ordered by the court that you are not mentally well enough to control your own life. Um, and she is still under it. The court uh, did not release her, although they did bring in, I believe, a third party firm to kind of assess it and manage it. Um, so the New York Times did a documentary on her basically reassessing the ways in which she was portrayed in the aughts when she mm -hmm. had her very, very, very public mental breakdown, which I think everyone listening to this podcast probably remembers. Um, and it, it's kind of it's been one of several pieces over the last year that have reignited a conversation about Britney Spears, specifically as much like Elon Musk, someone who people have been compelled to watch because yeah. they cannot, they are excited or titillated by the possibility of something unexpected mm -hmm. um, and spectacular happening. Um, so you have watched the documentary and you said, I believe it's sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. H have you seen it yet? No, I haven't seen it yet. I need to, I need to. 
No, uh, you definitely but, need to see it. Um, I was worried at first going into it that it was going to give way too much credence to the free Britney people who I personally find dangerous mm-hmm. and uh, incredibly problematic. Do you um, want to briefly explain that movement? Yeah. yeah, so the free Britney movement, it started from a podcast, I'm not even joking, called Britney's Gram, where they would like analyze Britney's um, Instagram feed. And it was a very kind of positive, poppy, just kind of stupid podcast. And then... um. After she had announced her second biggest residency and then had canceled the residency, her Instagram sort of changed. And the people on the podcast kind of were noticing, they're like, you know, this, some of this stuff doesn't seem right. And someone, uh, an anonymous person called them and left them a, a voicemail message claiming that they were a former paralegal at the law firm that represented um, one of the uh, people in her conservatorship. And basically said that Brittany uh, was in treatment against her will. She did not want to be part of the conservatorship. She had basically been held under, you know, uh, uh, you know, against her will for, for, for years and was, you know, basically like almost like I'm trying to think what the right term would be. Um, th- th- she has like no autonomy or, mm-hmm. or control over anything in her life. And this um, then kicked off like this immediately made international attention because it's Britney Spears. And for her entire career, which now spans over 20 years, she has been one of the most like prominent people in the world. Like literally from the time that that music video came out in 99, like she has been like incredibly public. Her fall was incredibly, incredibly public. Um, and, and then her, you know, the, the story of her, um, kind of, you know, um, Renaissance also a public thing. And, so that opened up this conversation about the conservatorship, which has come up over the years because it's unusual. The The situation is not common. Like usually conservatorships are done for people who are older or who have some sort of other kind of like difficulty where they, they can't function and they can't make decisions for themselves. It's rare that you see it applied to someone who's so young and who um, is on the outside, you know, seemingly productive and, and able to function in society. Like that is, it is a rare thing. Mm-hmm. So this movement then started basically saying, you know, Brittany is basically being held in captivity. We need to end the conservatorship. We need to get rid of Jamie, her father. Um, at this point, uh, her father, uh, had an altercation with one of her sons, which led to, I believe a restraining order that is Yeesh. in effect, I think in perpetuity against him, uh, from, from the children. Um, Brittany does not have custody of her children. They, um, uh, Kevin Federline, her ex-husband has custody of them, but she has visitation, although I'm not sure what the state of that is right now. Uh, and, um, basically saying like, we need to get rid of him. She's, and and then it went beyond that, beyond like, we need to get rid of the conservatorship. She's sending us coded messages in her Instagrams about how she's basically being held captive. Mm -hmm. This is is where where, it gets a little bit weird. 100%. That's the part where I'm like, okay, the intention might be good and you might be trying to raise awareness of this issue, but you're actually getting into creepy conspiratorial, like crazy ass thinking by being like, Brittany is sending this coded messages in her Instagram postings. No, she's not like you're insane. I also feel like it's in a lot of ways, pretty disrespectful to kind of assume that, you know, whatever her mental state is one way or another. And to be like, this conservatorship is, is completely bad and should be abolished. Um, because I don't think I think that like if you look at what led up to her um, being under the conservatorship, 
it's amazing she's not dead. Like, genuinely. Yeah. Like, for real. Like, for real, real. Like, I think that if that hadn't happened, whatever you think about the current arrangement, whatever you think about whether her father should be in control or not, and look, I'm of the opinion that he probably shouldn't be the conservator, which is one thing that she'd asked for. The court ruled in November that he, they were not going to make a determination at that point about removing him from that role, but they did assign like another party to be part of it and, and, a, and a bank to look over things. By all accounts, he hasn't messed with any of the money. She's actually like made a tremendous amount of money. On the one hand, you can say that that's a good thing. On the other hand, you can say, okay, well, she's worked and it's kind of done this stuff, but like to what end? And is she really cul- Is she really being able to be an active participant in her? Is she doing things of her own free will? You know, and there, there are a lot of really uncomfortable questions there. But I think for me, like the biggest thing is, um, I read a review of the documentary before it came out in the LA Times, and they cited Vanessa Gregoriadis's cover story from February 2008 in Rolling Stone, and it was called the um, um, like the the fall of Britney Spears or, or the tragedy of Britney Spears, something like that. Mm-hmm. And that was that's a really interesting read for two reasons. One, it re-reminded me just how out of control and insane things were. Two, it even though it was, I think, a largely fail, uh, fair and, and sympathetic portrait, it definitely showcased how we treated, um, as a culture, how we treated celebrity and how we treated very clear mental breakdowns as a culture back then, which is very different from how we treat it now. Yes. So this was an interesting read. You linked it to me before we recorded tonight uh, and said, hey, have you read this? You need to read it. Uh, and I I did. And it Completely. As a person who was too young at this time to really mm-hmm. be completely tuned in to what was happening. Right. Um, and that includes the larger media landscape and a, a knowledge yes. of the way in which celebrities and women were talked about in the media. It was very, very eye-opening. Um, and I was initially very put off by certain turns of phrase that she uses, um, especially in the way that she describes Britney Spears. But I, I think you're right that it does ultimately swing back in a different direction. Um, it, it's it's very it's very mixed. <laughs> it's very mixed in that way. But it, it ultimately does address some of the ways in which. You know, from a very young age, she was so fetishized. 100%. In a way that is very disturbing, mm-hmm. um, in which, of course, I was completely ignorant to. And now I'm like, oh, yeah. well, okay, mom, I get why you didn't want me to listen to her music. <laughs> right. No. And and, <sighs> um, and and the documentary Framing Britney really does a good job of that, too. Like, they really kind of show, like, how driven um, uh, the article actually went way more in depth, I think, than um, the documentary did. But they did kind of show, like, how driven and how under the guys and control of other people she was for her career. And then what happened is when she reached her early twenties, by all accounts, she had some sort of mental break. Uh, I'm not a doctor. I don't want to psychoanalyze or diagnose anybody. That's not my job. But from looking at what her behavior was, it was not normal and it was not okay. Um, and, and some of the, like, like the opening way that that article describes like an actual incident that was captured on video is one of those things that, if you look at it and it's it's not number one pop star, you know, in the world, it's not a 26-year-old, you read that anecdote and you're like, something is seriously wrong with this person. Yeah. Like this person needs actual help. And and you know, uh what led to her being 5150, which is when you're uh, put in a psychiatric hold um uh, outside of your own volition, 
was, I, I believe that she'd like barricaded herself with her kids or something in a house. She had a couple of rehabs and she was hanging out with some truly terrible people, some of which are still trying to be in her life. She was dating members of the paparazzi. Uh, like it was, it was a bad time and she was literally self-destructing in front of everyone. And where I do feel like the media does have culpability and needs to, uh, like kind of atone for themselves or at least come to grips with themselves. And I, and I say the media, but I also say the public. And I certainly is one of the, I was one of those people who I'm a little bit younger than Britney Spears, but I watched gate, you know, uh, mouth agape, like totally loving it, loving the drama. Mm-hmm. And now I look back and I'm like, this was really gross and uncomfortable that this was like it was selling millions and millions of magazines and making names for, you know, celebrity gossip columnists and other stuff. And it was this thing where um, we were all watching somebody self-destruct and nobody cared. And that's, yes. that's really scary to me because some, somebody uh, linked to something um, the other day where Craig Ferguson, who used to have, um, uh, I guess, Seth Meyers' uh, uh, slot on uh, – or no, no, he used to have James Corden's spot on CBS. So he used to have the the spot after uh, David Letterman. He gave a monologue where he basically was like, I'm not going to make fun of, of Britney Spears. She's a young woman. She's a kid. She's baby. She has two babies. And he talked about why he wasn't going to do that. And at first people were laughing. He was like, this isn't a joke. And he mentioned, and this was also mentioned in the Vanessa Gregoriatis uh, cover story about Anna Nicole Smith. And Anna Nicole Smith died. And she mm-hmm. died not long. She died basically when a lot of the most insane Britney stuff was happening. I mean, I'm talking about the, the shaving her head. I'm talking about the, you know, attacking the paparazzi, um, uh, w- with umbrellas. I'm talking about like the, you know, um, going out and, um, you know, flashing her, her body all over the place. Like, you know, just speaking in weird foreign accents and just like, you know, just unhinged stuff. That's happened at the same time when Anna Nicole Smith died and everybody who could see Anna Nicole Smith's behavior for years knew that she was a drug addict and knew that she was being enabled by really terrible people. And then she died and everybody was kind of like, you know, wanting to be in mourning. That's like, you did nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, I think, to kind of juxtapose how we are having conversations about Kanye West and how we had conversations about Britney Spears. I don't think the Kanye West conversation is perfect. And I do feel like we do still sometimes not treat that with the gravity that we should, mm-hmm. but it certainly is treated with a lot more kindness and attempt at being understanding than any conversation we had about Britney Spears was. Or at least a, at least an acknowledgement that it is a mental health issue. Yes. Not just yes. wacky. <laughs> Completely. Um, no. And that's the thing. Cause I, cause I look back and that was the thing that I'm looking at and that I was even having to like address my own self about. I'm like, wait a minute, like you knew, and you knew people who had, who had suffered in their early twenties mental breaks, because it's not uncommon for people to become diagnosed with very serious mental health problems in their early twenties. It's not an uncommon thing at all. Mm-hmm. And I knew this and I'd seen this happen to people. And yet my base reaction was the same as everybody else's, which was just to like watch and revel in the absurdity and the chaos. Um, and, and that's really sad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the other thing that happened though, is that she'd had that fall and then she went under the conservatorship and presumably got medicated. And then she was able to turn her career back. She was able to come back and work again and perform again. Now to me, Brittany has never seemed the same. She's seemed different. She's seemed, you know, like just not the same. 
And I don't know if that's because of whatever um, her health condition is, if it's because of her medication or what, because there are people who suffer from, um, again, I'm not trying to diagnose anybody or anything, but like, this is just a fact, like people can go through, um, uh, you know, uh, mental health episodes and are irrevocably changed. So I, I don't know what the, the deal is. I do just know that like she is, she seems different and, and the, the way that she speaks and kind of interacts is different, but she went from somebody who was doing these sit down interviews with Diane Sawyer and Matt Lauer and other people and was, you know, um, had at least that sort of autonomy to, she hasn't done any sort of big interviews or had anybody, you know, really have any way to even have a direct conversation with her since she went under that conservatorship, Mm -hmm. but her career really flourished. And I think that for a long time it was looked at as like this successful thing and now what the documentary is raising questions about and it's they're good questions to raise are okay but who's in control here who's profiting is this okay and the question that it raises for me to be totally honest is and i don't think we're here as a culture and this is what makes me sad how do we as a culture how do we reconcile the fact that one of the most iconic pop stars and parts of our celebrity culture and part of like pop culture is somebody who by every report and account has a very, very severe health problem. Yeah. Like a very, very, very severe health problem. Like the thing is, is that people get into conspiracy theories and whatnot. Like the money's not being stolen. That's, that's the first thing. The courts are not going to agree. The, the reason I, in my, my gut tells me that the reason that like, the courts have agreed to the conservatorship and let that happen is that they saw things that made them scared. And they were like, we don't want Britney Spears to die. We don't want this to happen. And I, I but it, but it's one of those things that to me, I'm like, how, how do we reconcile as a culture when you have a, when she's very continuing unwell, to entertain and continuing to yes, make music and perform. Exactly. And, and, yeah. and how do you, how do you reconcile that? Like when, when it's like it, yeah. When she's still in the public light and when you're like, but we have this person who is this thing that we all abused and used and, and that the industry did and, and profited off of who then has something really, really unfortunate happen to them that is not common and is, is not like your normal run of the mill. Oh, you know, um, I'm depressed or I have anxiety or whatever thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's something beyond that. And, and I don't know how we come to grips with that. Like how do we come to grips with like one of the most famous, like, ideals. And it's not just famous. Like she was like this perfect ideal of like young womanhood. How do you, how do you reconcile that with that person not being well? And I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely going to watch that documentary. Final thought on this, uh, the article, actually, I should have brought this up before you had your beautiful, what feels like an ending speech. (laughs) One of the things that stood out to me is really interesting about this. And I think a marker of how the dialogue has shifted is the way the Rolling Stone article is much more harsh on her mother, Lynn Spears. Mm. Yes. And sort of brushes off Jamie, whereas today those that attitude is pretty much reversed. I'm not going to say yeah. whether that's for better or for worse. I think both parents, in the case of a child becoming a celebrity and becoming a product, essentially, as, as you so uh, as you put it so well, they both bear responsibility for that. But at the time of this article coming out in 2008, Jamie was not in the conversation as somebody who was well, potentially guilty. Right. 
in the way well, that I, Lynn was. 100%. Although I think in fairness, the reason he wasn't is because he wasn't in the conversation. Yeah. And now he, he is. Now he is. Like that it was it was surprising to people even then. Like I remember being surprised even then that her father was the one who took over and not her mother. Some they'd had some sort of falling out because she and her mother used to be incredibly close. And they had some sort of following out, but her father, um, I think, you know, he he um, suffered from from alcoholism and, and had some other issues. He hadn't really been involved in her life, and then all of a sudden, when everything went um, poorly, he swooped in. I remember there was this, and they they mentioned this in the um, um, New York Times doc um, because I remember watching it. There was a there was a documentary that they did. Uh, I think it was called like Britney Spears on the record or whatever that MTV produced where it showed her like living with him and, and how their life was. And it did seem kind of like you had people who'd been separated for a really long time who didn't know each other that well. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and I, I, you know, um, I think that he can be criticized for a lot of reasons. I do feel like there's something to be said, like it does seem like in some cases, and I'm not saying that this absolves the situation the way that it is now, because that's not what I'm saying, but I do feel like at least for a time, it did seem like he stepped up and and provided some sort of force of stability that didn't exist before. Uh, But yeah, you're right. In the article, it definitely puts the mother much more, um, you know, on on kind of the blame thing. And I think that's largely because her father wasn't involved and now he is. And it's interesting too, because her mother, who still doesn't really seem to have much of a relationship with her, you know, has tried to kind of petition the court and wants to be more involved and wants to have more of a say in things. But it's, it's, uh, the whole thing is really sad. That's really yeah. all I can kind of get out of it is it's just, it's really sad. And it makes me sad as somebody who is a fan of her music and was a fan of her and wants the best for Britney. Like I would love to see Britney perform in Vegas again, but I only want that if she wants that. Yeah. But the only thing I'll kind of end on the thing that bothers me about the people who are like, release her from this conservatorship, release her from this other stuff. Then like, we don't know what's actually going on with her health. And I feel like it's a disservice to be like, you know, um, she's completely fine and, and she'd just be able to like live her life. Like maybe she is, but maybe she's not. And we got really close. Like she, it's incredible. Like she, she could have been like, it's so close that she could have died. Like, it's not even a question that Mm -hmm. she could have died if there hadn't been intervention taken. And, and I think that that is the thing that like kind of makes me angry at the free Britney people is it's like, they have this, like they ignore that part of history. They, they ignore that part of reality. Like, yes, was the media culpable? 100%, you know, were, were her parents and all her handlers and all those people like vultures up for 100%. Was she also really, really sick and like out of control and flailing and like begging for help and everybody was just staring? Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, sorry Christina, for that. Monologue. No, you are so eloquent. No, I just, I, I wanted to talk about this all week and nobody will talk to me about it, but like, I don't want to talk about it. And like, I wanted to try to be thoughtful about it because I've had lots of thoughts. Anyway, you should get on clubhouse, baby. <laughs> <laughs> we're just, we're going to clip this section and we're going to play it on clubhouse <laughs> and we're going to get banned for playing pre-recorded audio. We are. Yep. Uh, hey, what else are you doing this week besides looking for people willing to listen to you talk about Britney Spears? I mean, that's the main thing. I have. Have you been following um, the Gorilla Glue Girl? Do we know what her latest oh my update gosh. is? Tessica Brown. I don't know what yes. her latest uh, update is, but I hope that she is well. 
Same, same. Um, I like genuinely want nothing but the best for her. That has honestly kept me Two up. Two hours ago, Tessica Brown arrives in Beverly Hills to undergo procedure to remove Gorilla Glue. Sorry, <sighs> continue. No, good. I'm glad. Thank you for the update. Because um, for people who haven't been listening, um, it started out as sort of a meme, but it's not It's not funny. It's like actually pretty terrible. Um, somebody accidentally used Gorilla Glue instead of setting spray on their hair and pretty terrible. When I think about that, because I've gotten Gorilla Glue on my hands so -hmm. many times and it sucks so much. I cannot imagine having it on my entire scalp. Horrible. I hope that they managed to remove it. Yeah. Yeah. That's honestly been a big part of, I mean, other than my work stuff, which has been obviously top priority. Like that's been one of those things other than Britney Spears where I've been like actively, <laughs> I haven't been actively tweeting about it because I, I haven't wanted to, because once it became clear, it was like a real problem. I was like, Oh, this isn't fun. Yeah. I don't want to engage in any of this discourse. Like this, this, I, I just want Tessica to be okay. Like I just want her to not be in pain and to be okay. Yeah. But, but I've been like low key, like very concerned all week about, about her hair. It's one of those things where it's like once you find out about it, you absolutely need the resolution to it. Much like, which I still haven't had resolved, that Reddit, am I the I have to bleep that now about the woman who thought her husband and his father were trying to kill her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Although, do we think that was real or was that a troll? I don't know, Christina, and I'll never know. And that's what's killing me. Yeah, that's the that's the only thing about that subreddit is that yeah, because there's so I, many fake stories, one hundred percent, and some of them like you can tell they're just like too pat. I'm like, this isn't yeah. real, and then some of them, and you're like, well, yeah, but yeah. Eesh. So yes, so I mean, honestly, that that's been a big part of my week was that. Oh, um, in in PC update news, I'm waiting on my last RAM, but I imported a motherboard from New Zealand for ridiculous reasons, and it arrived. So nice. um, that's awesome, and. Uh, yeah, I'm very right. excited. I getting, put out a video this build. week. Yay, tell us yeah, about it. I just went up today. It's about wet streets in cyberpunk and basically an excuse for me to talk about Blade Runner and film noir and how wet the role that wetness plays in all of the media that inspired cyberpunk. Uh, cyberpunk as a genre and also cyberpunk as a tabletop role-playing game and therefore cyberpunk as a video game. Um, It was also an excuse for me to dress up (laughs) and put on fun lights. I'm really feeling the... I've gone through so many phases in quarantine. I went through the clothing buying phase, and then I went through the furniture buying phase, and currently Mm -hmm. I'm in a makeup buying phase. Ooh, nice. Um, And do I have skills? No. Am I, like driven half mad by not having to wear makeup for the last year do i slap it on like a slap happy clown uh trying to look pretty yes absolutely um so i had fun uh doing like a noir themed look and a quote-unquote cyberpunk-esque look for this video um not that it's just about aesthetics but also it kind of is because cyberpunk is just about aesthetics so perhaps you should check it out at youtube.com slash polygon I'm very excited about this. Um, So this is on um, YouTube because I was trying to look for it on Polygon and I don't see an article. Yes, because I have not written the site post yet because uh, I'm... (laughs) (laughs) No, that's totally fine. I'm a bad girl. Okay, Okay, so so YouTube.com slash Polygon, although you'll have a link directly to that in um, the the show notes for us. You bet I will remember to do that. (laughs) She claims. She's like, maybe. 
I'm opening um, YouTube right now. No, I, I see it. no, I just got the I just got the URL, so I'm going to put it in the um, Skype chat. So that I've got you will be able to grab it there. Don't you? All right, dare. perfect. Um, oh, <laughs> and I'm looking you. at your makeup now. It looks great. Uh, I, li- I like what you did with the eyes. So uh, good stuff there. Um, excellent. Thank you. I'm glad that you appreciate. Um, cool. So that's our show this week. Hey, uh, if you liked it, please leave oh, us. Awesome. But, but, but oh. Simone, where can people find us online? This is important. Oh, is it important? It is uh, important. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Doom Quasar and at YouTube.com slash Polygon. What about you, Christina? You can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagrams. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing something with my, my build. I don't know if I'm going to live stream it or not. I'm going to probably have to rebuild Ooh. it because a different case it was just announced that I really want. And so I might just stream the second build. I'm not really sure. Anyway, I'll keep people updated. I might be doing like Instagram stories of the build. Cool. Is, that might actually be the the thing that I do when I do that this Since weekend. Since you can't do hotel tours anymore. Exactly. It's build time. Um, yeah. The, if you like this podcast, please give it a, li- a listen. What? <laughs> you've already done that. And now that you've done that, the first task you should leave it a review on Apple Podcasts. And then maybe tell your friends to give it a listen too. See if they'll enjoy it as well. I bet they will. We'll be back with you next week. Um, Hopefully Brie will be back with us next week if she is not on too many drugs. If she is, we are happy to give her the week off again and she had better take it and be grateful for it. (laughs) Uh, But either way, we'll be here. Thanks for listening. This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 Terminated.